Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I am joined by Emily Killam. We had Emily's colleague on last week, also of Perceptic, so we're excited to have Emily with us this week. She is a director of research and insights there at Perceptix. I wanted to mention because our topic last week was about specifically about employee listening, Emily has also authored several articles on the value of employee listening. But a little bit more in touch with what she's going to talk about today, I wanted to mention for our listeners that she really does find a lot of passion in discovering data-driven solutions to organizational problems and discovering patterns in the employee experience, both within and across the organizations. And I also thought this would be valuable for us to know. She is an expert at quantifying the value of engaged employees and engaged work teams, and this is cool, in terms of dollars, productivity, turnover, customer loyalty, safety, and absenteeism, which is such a great statement for our listeners. I think we're always trying to find ways to do that. So I just wanted to mention before I officially welcome Emily here, we had talked with John, as I had mentioned last week, and he had mentioned the release of this data. I believe when we met with him last week, this had just been released. And our listeners, Emily, also learned about this term officism, and it was this negative attitude towards employees working remotely. So I know we got we got to learn a new buzzword from this data that you're going to be talking with us today. But I know that's a huge introduction, but welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me, Cindy. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited, especially since, like I said, John kind of teed a little bit of this up for you. But we're really excited to learn a little bit more about the research that came out of Perceptics. And so let me ask you, just to jump right into the questions, can you tell us a little bit of how or why did the idea for this research originate and what were the original objectives? Sure. We knew that with a change in the workplace over the last two years, specifically in relation to the pandemic, we keep hearing how workplace has changed, workplace has changed. And as I've been studying employees and their perceptions on their work environment for about 20 years now, um, I really began to look into, okay, this is a this is a time of revolution in the workplace. And so how does this compare with maybe other workplace revolutions that we've seen, maybe during the Industrial Revolution when we saw employees beginning to say, hey, like I really want to work in a place where the machines are safe to work on. I don't want to work 17 hours a day. Um, I, I want to work in a place where there's climate control, right? And then all of a sudden, every place had those things. And so those were no longer competitive advantages in the workplace. Similarly, we had an employee revolution um, in the 80s and 90s where we talked about, um, for the first time, really this term of people management became important for employees. And we began to look at how people could make choices about where they went to work because of the type of relationship they would have with their manager and were they empowered to make decisions and where they developed. And some of those things that really didn't happen when you had employees who were just career people, right? And they stayed someplace until they got their pension and they left. That became 
a new competitive advantage in the workplace. Well, what we know now is that some of those things, all of those basics of people management are becoming tickets to entry in the workplace. Again, those are baseline factors. And so what are those new factors that are driving employees to either stay at an organization, to leave an organization, to make their career someplace? And what did that look like for them? The other thing we wanted to do was make sure that we talked about employees as whole people. So we looked and really started to define employees as the personas that they embody in the workplace and to be able to look at who they are in their situation. How can that broad perspective lead to what's going to happen going forward? I think the other thing that was really important for us when we wanted to dig into this was a lot of what we've seen in the macro engagement space for employees. And what I mean by that is just the basic numbers of who's engaged, who's not engaged, what do those numbers look like? What we found was that even big workplace events, such as the pandemic, such as uh, the 9-11 terrorist attacks or other things that have been huge disruptions, uh, the 2008 financial crisis, those things that have been huge disruptions in the workplace, what we find is that at that overall level, everything kind of looks like it's staying the same, but we know that it doesn't feel the same inside the workplace. So we wanted to really take a level down analysis to say, what happens when those things change under the surface, even if it looks like things are staying the same? Yeah, thank you. I love that you are talking about the history um, and going back, you'd mentioned the workplace revolution, and then that no longer was a competitive advantage, and then how we were treating the whole person, and then that no longer became that competitive advantage. I appreciate that you brought that in. We had an author that we interviewed a few weeks back, I believe, and he was talking about the work from home and telecommuting and all those pieces. And I think that's so relative for us as listeners to not forget that we've been going through um, rounds of different uh, changes in the workplace for a long time, especially related to, to your point, listening to the employee or employee engagement. So you had mentioned, you had said, you know, right now you're thinking about as this data originated, you know, what are those new factors we're looking for? You also talked about uh, talking about employees as whole people so my question, I guess, is what did you learn about the environmental and behavioral factors that are influencing the employee experience today? And, and I'm going to guess that they have, do they differ from what we did see in data five or maybe even 10 years ago? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that we did was when we looked into this data, we said, okay, what's important for employees? And three clear factors emerged. Uh, one of those factors is that what we're considering to be necessary but not sufficient any longer, sort of that great people management. And we know that many organizations are still working on that and, and honing that skill about people management, but we also know that that is a basic expectation of employees. So when I think about good people management, that's most of what we've seen in the popular business literature over the last 25 years or so, thinking about does my manager connect with me? Do I have what I need to do my job? Am I even a fit for this role? You know, do we work together as a team? Am I allowed to create relationships here? Do we have basic trust? All of those things um, are still important. They're not gone. But what we found was that they are just necessary and not sufficient. And what we now need are some other things. So one thing that is that I thought was kind of a 
neat emergence as a part of this and and is perhaps thinking about what new job seekers are looking for. They really want to make a connection with the organization, a personal connection about where they're going to be in the organization five years from now. Um, and that's different from what maybe we've seen in the past where, yes, we absolutely needed some career development and we needed senior leadership to paint a picture. But now what we found was that employees are saying, I need the personal connection. Do I belong here? I need an aspirational connection. Is the organization setting a vision? And does that vision include me? So it's not just, is the company going to be solvent? Do we have a plan? But do I see how I fit directly into that plan? And then in between, we need a manager who's going to develop. And so it's really the, the developmental perspective there to say, does the manager supporting my career goals to help me get from where I am today, where I belong, to where I'm going to belong five years from now in that future of the organization? So that's really the second main factor that emerged out of this research. And then the third main factor that emerged out of this research, which I think is probably not new, but it's new that people could ask for it or going to continue to ask for it. And that is really a healthy climate. So that includes things like psychological safety. Is this a safe place to make mistakes? Do we appreciate the diversity that exists here in thought, feeling, behavior, um, the diversity that exists in people? Is this a place where there's equity? Um, and then do we have tools to manage the stress? that's happening here in the workplace. And that shouldn't be surprising, but I, I do think it emerged much more quickly as the world and the pandemic and the murder of George Floyd and all of those things came together at the same time, really pressed fast forward on employees being able to say, I absolutely need a place where the climate around me is very healthy. Yeah. So I want to make sure I got these. The three factors that you mentioned are the people management this emergence of what are new job seekers looking for? And, and that final piece was that healthy climate. Did I get the three factors correct? Yeah, the basics of people management. That second one's really about how do I fit into the organization in the future? Yeah. yeah. And then that healthy workplace. Got it. Yeah. And I jotted notes down about it too, because I think even in, at HCI, we talk about that connection being such a big part of engagement. And I really, I love that you're really emphasizing this and saying, hey, this just is what it is. It has to be like this. We, we want people want that personal connection. They want that aspirational connection. How do I fit into this business? How do I fit into the end goals um, of our organization? Which I guess tees it up for this next question, because we're talking a lot about how do people fit in? What's that personal connection, aspirational connection? I want to feel part of something. And it does make me think of the fact that we are in a situation now that people are, there's blended environments now. We've got people working remotely. We've got people still in the office. We've got a hybrid of the two. So we know employee engagement has become a hot button term for leaders as they think about their employees, especially as we are working in these diverse uh, ways to do work now with the you know remote or distributed environments. Do you think employee engagement still matters in this new model? Absolutely. Full stop employee engagement is still going to continue to be an important part of how employees show up to work and how they experience work. Um, in the same way, I think, 
hopefully, you know, maybe 10 years from now, it will be so much a part of it that it will be embedded just like a safe, a physically safe environment was embedded 100 years ago. Um, That said, employees are looking for a full experience now. And as you think about how the remote work has influenced that, when you think about not having clear delineation at times between home and work, uh, people working in disparate locations, but still needing to acculturate to an organization, uh, beginning to understand those things. What we're finding is that new job seekers and current employees are really saying engagement took part of me and it made me a part of work, but now I need to understand how to make work and life very similar um, and, and create an environment. So when you think about, for example, that healthy climate, the fact that people just need a healthy place to be says I'm as an employee looking for a place where my life and my work can coexist and I can feel comfortable with how they coexist. And then as we think about some of the research that has shown, you know, that millennials are specifically looking for how they can make a difference in their work, not so much what the job is or the organization is, but how they can make a difference. Um, That really takes a look at that fitting in with the organization's future. And now we're starting to see an, an influx of our Generation Z workers and to think about how they might be different or connected, understanding that how they fit in may look different as a generation, but that understanding how they're going to fit in is going to become really important. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that explanation around even though our work looks different, that engagement is still going to be right up there tip top as a priority. So I only know about these personas because you and I chatted earlier, but can you tell us about, and I think that this will be really interesting for our listeners, you identified four personas within the data. So can you first tell us why are personas a useful model for understanding these groups and their experience within our organizations and how did you define them specifically? Sure. So we opted for a persona approach because we know that this is one way that people analytics and human resource teams are looking to identify groups of employees that share specific characteristics and therefore can be managed systemically. And so things coming from the top of the organization and strategic priorities can be directed at groups of employees to really I guess, hit all of their high points in a much more strategic way. So instead of if I have 50,000 employees in my organization, I cannot get to every person individually, perhaps as an HR team. I'd hope that their managers are. But as a strategic organizational priority, I need a way to group them together to make plans. And so this allows us to really personify them, though, as whole human beings with a set of characteristics that can help be managed. For the purposes of this research, one of the things that's really important to note, I think, as we begin to talk about these personas is that unlike some persona identifications where people have done assessment or or behavioral models, we expect that those personas aren't going to change over time. In fact, these personas are changeable and they really describe a combination of that person and situation together. And what we know is that as we go in and look at this, if you were to somehow you know, if you were to get rid of all of your employees tomorrow and hire all new ones, you would likely find a similar distribution among the personas because they're entering a situation. 
and the situation is your workplace. So how can you alter the workplace to make a difference for any one of these personas? In this case, we identified four personas that came out of our data looking at, again, those three factors of people management fitting into the broader organization's future and a healthy workplace climate. And we identified these four unique personas and they each come with sort of their own challenges and their own characteristics. The first one uh, we're calling the energized. So these are employees who have all three of those factors clearly, clearly met. They have consistent, great people management. They feel like the environment they're in is real healthy and they can describe how they are going to fit into the organization's future. What we know about these employees is that they are less likely to leave. They are more likely to make referrals for customers, for future employees. They're organization's promoters. They're kind of those informal mavens within an organization, the leaders that you might go to uh, if you're going to spread some new communication throughout. They may not be people leaders, but instead they're the people that you're going to rely upon maybe to carry your torch of communication throughout the organization. And so they've really been put in a great situation. What we found is that that's about 9% of the Perceptics database. The bulk, the, the backbone of your organization, we are calling the contented. These are folks who have two of the three workplace factors met very clearly or sort of a baseline middle on, on all of them. But we know that there's maybe one place where they're looking for something else that they're they're hoping for something else. Now, we know that they don't have intention to leave in the near term, but they could for sure be poached, right? There are people who could be persuaded to quit if they have a better opportunity. Um, they still are feeling passion for their work, though they may not feel passion for your organization, but they for sure feel passion for the work. Um, they are definitely productive. They're positively adding to your culture. And again, they're people that you want to keep and that you want to continue to focus on because with just a small tweak, we could really find them being much more energized, but they are the backbone. The third persona um, that we're, we're thinking about, and I'm going to actually drop to the fourth persona. Um, the fourth persona, we're calling the neglected. This persona has none of those three factors are being positively influenced by your workplace. And this group is 13% uh, of our database. And what we find is that this group, these employees are really struggling and they don't want to come to work like this, um, but they feel hopeless about the future and they don't think they're going to stay around very long. They have, they're about twice as likely to leave or three times even as likely to leave as your energized folks. Uh, they are really sending a message that they need support. But the group that I think we worry about the least and perhaps we should worry about the most is about a third of our database and we're calling them the disconnected. These employees have one of the three factors met. The other two are not met, but even the one that's met is just barely met. And what we know about them is actually they don't intend to leave. So they may leave, but they really don't intend to leave and they require organizational triage today. Their situation is complicated, um, but they want to be connected to your organization, but they're feeling very disconnected. So they will likely do exactly what's expected of them, but no more. 
And really, why should they? Because they're giving back to the organization exactly what they perceive they're getting, the very bare minimum. But what we do know about them that's concerning is the fact that they're going to stay and they're actively negative in many cases. They detract from the work, the culture, the brand, and the community, and they're difficult to reach from that management perspective, but they are a group we need to focus on because like I said, in most organizations, they're a third and they don't want to be there. They want to be able to be connected. So I want to repeat these for our listeners, the energized... The contented, right? And the contented is the backbone. I like that you said that it's really the met two of those three workplace factors and and really make up a good majority. Um, The neglected, which have none of the factors. And then you ended here on the disconnected, which has one of three of those. um, And the one is barely met. I like that you said that. And one is it's met, but it's barely met. Um, I appreciate too that you use that word triage. Like I love that terminology because you said they're going to stay. They're getting something that there's a return for them to stay. But I want to ask you because you do go a little bit deeper in the persona of the disconnected in this report. And we've got a lot of HR folks listening in. So when we think about this group, and I think you referred to them as the working dead, I had to be careful there. I almost said the walking dead, the working dead. What do you mean by that? And why are they so critical for HR leaders to pay attention to? Absolutely. So I think the very first thing that we should know about the working dead, about these disconnected, is that 70% intend to remain at their organization. Nearly a third of them indicate they strongly agree they're going to stay. But only about 18% feel a strong sense of personal accomplishment in their work. So we know that what we're producing is a segment of the population who is going to stick around and doesn't feel all that great about what they're producing. It's a fundamentally unfair position maybe to put workers in. And I think, you know, maybe our first response is, well, then, you know, send them packing if they don't want to work here. But that's not true. They do want to be connected and they, they're they able to be connected. So how do we connect them and what do HR leaders need to do? I think the very first step is, you know, we've really got to ask. We have to ask what they need. We have to hear them and identify what is it that's creating this disconnection for them. And so if you don't have a listening strategy in place, really get one quickly because employees will tell you what it is they need to be further connected with the organization. But then once you ask, then you have to really figure out and analyze that data to figure out what are the systemic things that maybe need to be changed? What are things that are more individualized and local? And assess where we need to spend our efforts. And given the three new factors, is it that we are still not very good at people management? That's less likely to be the case, I think, as we talked about earlier. But if that's the case, let's get some people management stuff in place. Is it that we're not doing a very good job communicating and helping our employees see their own personal connection with the future? And if we're not, how can we do better at that? If what we're finding is that they think the overall climate isn't very healthy, then we need to work on that too. And I know many organizations have been more so than ever thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion metrics, 
thinking about well-being, thinking about psychological safety, but those programs are, are the right ones, right, to be putting in place. But then the third step, and I think where many organizations fall short, is the ACT step. So once you know what it is that's causing the problem, what are you doing to then implement a solution to that problem? And that solution to the problem comes both from the top down in terms of thinking about strategic initiatives, but also from the bottom up. So now you've asked your employees, but are you creating a full-time dialogue with your employees that's happening in real time to say, well, how can we create a a better environment for you from a psychological safety perspective? Why isn't it okay to make mistakes here? What feedback are you getting from us that it's not okay to make mistakes? How do we work that with your team? You know, we may think we're doing a great diversity and inclusion initiative, but do your employees feel like you are? So make sure that you're you're finding that out, but then also that you're acting on the things that you do find out. It's so important, Emily. I'm so glad I was, I knew, I knew it was going to come, but I was waiting for that word act because that is the key, right? You, you'll, you'll hear from HR professionals all the time or workplace members that, um, well, we, we did this survey or we did this, or they asked us these questions, but nothing came of it. Right. And then, then Mm -hmm. there's survey fatigue. Yeah. So I was so glad to hear you. Let's ask, let's synthesize, and then let's take action on that. And as we think about action, I really, I want to emphasize that I think it's really, really important that we not only act from the top up. So I think our HR friends, one of the things we think we know what we can do to fix it. And so we run out and and make a change to fix it. But what we forgot was to create a real feedback loop with employees. And I've talked with lots of focus groups of employees who've said, you know, the, I hear from the HR team, we did so many things. Why are they reporting that nothing's changed? Look at all the things that have changed. But when you hear from the employees, what they're saying is, essentially, if you break it down, they're saying, well, somebody actioned at us instead hmm. of with us. Somebody actioned at us. I love that distinction there, instead of with us. That's a pretty powerful statement. I, I believe it. <laughs> it's a, I think it's good for us to hear that. Well, I also, I'm thinking too, so we're talking about the employee requirements and you went through the personas. You know, the other thing that I guess I think about, and I know it's broken down in your report in this way also, is these market segments, right? And we know there's different market segments that probably have also been especially challenged by these shifts in these employee requirements. And probably healthcare is right up there with that. Boy, healthcare has, shoot, I mean, They've seen it in the last couple of years anyways, but there's others that also perform better, right? So we've got some that are challenged. There's others that are perform better. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So you're right. Healthcare has, boy, healthcare has really struggled and they've struggled both from the external factors and then internally as well within their own organizations. And that that clash has really happened. And early on, you know, they were our heroes and and we saw a big boost in engagement. But in fact, this pandemic has lasted a long time and people are getting worn down. And as we continue to see, you know, spikes and, and overrun hospitals, I feel like our healthcare workers are definitely beginning to feel it. And in fact, we kind of describe it as a boomerang effect. But in fact, they've come down now in many cases below pre-pandemic levels of optimization in terms of thinking about how their needs are being met. Um, and I think that's concerning because 
when we think about what those three factors are and we hear, okay, but healthcare employees are leaving the profession and they're moving on, then now we have fewer employees, fewer caregivers, specifically higher need for healthcare workers. And so that's creating this downward spiral. And so healthcare, I think, is really struggling and we do need to think about how we can quickly and effectively get to some of these feelings of less stress and and all of those things within that environment. What are the things that we're able to control? Because there's so many things in the employee experience, specifically in healthcare, that we're not able to control right now. And by we, really, I mean the administration and executives within hospitals and thinking about HR teams, we cannot control the influx of patients. It's not something that that we have the ability to control. But understanding that we are going to have the influx of patients, what can employees control in their work environment and how can we soften the blow? But some organizations and some industries have done okay in this environment. And specifically, we think about the information economy and maybe the deskbound workers, they go across, you know, professional services and insurance and banking and, and all of those more information workers. And what we're seeing there is that this new ability to remain flexible and, and work all over has allowed that group to stay largely in that contented state because they're being able to manage some of those factors like a healthy work environment and uh, how they're physically connecting to the future, maybe in a little easier way, but specifically that healthy work environment has been much easier to maintain when they have some control and flexibility. I don't know that that will last. It will be interesting to see if that's enough to continue to maintain that healthy environment when you have control over it. I know that most of what we've seen in some of the other researches out in the market is we're going to continue to battle that line between workplace and home for hybrid workers and for information workers. Are they always on? Are they able to shut off? That would be a specific area, I think, of concern for that group. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, yeah, and you're and I'm so glad we did talk a little bit about healthcare and and to your point, you know, um what they have been going through, what they are going through, the fatigue that's coming from that. We saw great engagement and you know, what does that look like now? So I'm really glad you brought that up. So moving into my last question here, Emily. You know, again, we've got quite a crew of HR professionals that listen into this podcast. And, you know, we know with the model of, you know, being a business partner as an HR professional, we really are supporting and coaching and working with our people leaders. So I guess if I were to ask a last question here, what would you say, because we've got these HR professionals listening in that can help coach and support what would you say is your recommendation for how people leaders should use this data and what steps can they take now to address some of the experience gaps that you've talked about and ensure that more of their employees remain with them and remain productive? What can we do? Well, I think the first thing, and we kind of went into it a little bit earlier when we talked about we need to ask, we need to analyze, and we need to act. So that remains what HR's function in regard to thinking about the employee experience really needs to continue to be as we move forward is to think about how can I create a conversation with employees 
how can I then determine what factors are systemic and what factors need to come from the bottom up? And then how can we remain acting both in conversation and in actual action uh, to create a, a better workplace going forward? But I do think it's very, very tempting for HR professionals to be frustrated with disconnection in an organization. Um, specifically, it can be frustrating for managers when they know they've got a section of folks who are disconnected. It, it's tempting to remove them from the situation, right? And get somebody new. Let's just find some new people to bring in. Uh, these people maybe aren't appreciative or whatever it is, but we have to continue to understand that employees don't want to be fundamentally disconnected from their workplace. They want to show up to work every day and anticipate their own success, and they want the barriers out of their way. And they want to be connected and they want to be productive. And so how can we take what we're hearing? How can we ensure that our listening strategy is including the new factors? I think that is probably a a key thing HR professionals maybe need to do. Um, Because if you are measuring the same thing you were measuring 20 years ago, you're really going to be missing some of those new things that have emerged in the last two years as a part of this revolution. And so if you continue to measure mostly people management, you've got some of the information and you may wonder, why are you not seeing the outcomes that you've been accustomed to seeing, right? Why are you seeing people leave at a different rate? Or why are you seeing some more negativity within the workplace? And it's because that's only just one factor now. Uh, so ensuring that you continue to do um, your DEI and your well-being programs and understanding that you have some psychological safety built in and then how do we change the conversation around development? And what I mean by that is in the past, it said, Hey, is there a career path here? And, you know, did I spend time with my manager to get me there? And and do I have that support? Okay, sure. But instead, how do we paint a picture for job roles for whole groups of people that say, Hey, here is where the organization is going. Here's where your piece fits into where we're going. And then here are the steps you can take to continue to get there. And that's a really fundamentally different conversation because it's unique to each employee in a way that maybe it hasn't been before. So if I were to go back, I think the key things HR could do today is ensure your listening strategy takes into account everything that is important today. Ensure that that listening strategy then is flexible so that if these things change again, five years from now, 10 years from now, or maybe it's more like 25 years from now, if we find new new things, make sure that your strategy continues to adapt with what employees are looking for, and then make sure that you're acting on the things you learn. Yeah, again, and there's that word act, right? Act. Don't act at them, act with them. So I just, I feel we got officeism from last time. I feel like that is also another powerful statement to come from this particular podcast. Well, Emily, we're just about getting to time here. I do want to say before I wrap up, is there anything, any last comments that you would want to make before we closed out? No, I think I feel like I dumped a whole bunch of data in a very short time. And so, you know, if if people want to learn more, if they want to dig in a little deeper and maybe have some time to let this gel or digest, um, definitely download the report because it goes into detail on each of these factors and how you can measure them and how you can learn more about them. Um, sometimes I feel like we talk a lot about it and then we don't have time to really get really deep into what we found. But I, I do think that's important because there was a lot here and, and I think this is a great conversation. 
Yeah, and you hit some really great points. I know our listeners will find them very valuable. Well, hey, to our Nine to Thrive listeners, if you liked what you heard with Emily's podcast today, also listen in from last week's as we interviewed John Borland, also of Perceptics, talking a little bit more about listening. Otherwise, be sure just to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app for future episodes. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, and a huge thank you to Emily, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day.